Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today is a special episode, a very special episode of the Juicebox Podcast, and it's brought to you by Omnipod, the world's most amazingest, everest, bestest, tubeless insulin pump, and Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Today, I'll be speaking with the Senior Vice President of Research and Development at Dexcom, Jake Leach. You know, is this a review episode? Is it a follow-up to G6? Well, you call this one what you want, but Arden's been using the Dexcom G6 now for one, two, three, four, I think four insertions. So we're somewhere between 30 and 40 days. I have a firm grasp of what the product is, how it's better, and I thought, all right, I'm gonna do a, a you know a review episode for you guys. And I had the opportunity to have someone on from Dexcom. So instead of talking about the stuff that you can read anywhere online about what Dexcom is, I thought, let's talk with one of the people who is at the lead of their research and development so we can kind of dig deep on some ideas. Here's just some of the topics that we'll cover. How does low predictive alert work? What's the next leap in Dexcom? What should we be excited about? Has the adhesive changed? What's a compression low? How does the inserter work? How is it designed? Talk about the auto startup. Direct integration with Apple Watch, the one with the cellular in it, you know? And how about that two hour warm up period? Is it ever gonna go away? All that and more right now on the Juicebox Podcast. Oh, I have to squeeze this in real quick. Nothing you hear on the Juicebox Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making a change to your diabetes care plan. Oh my God, I made it. Morning, it's Scott Benner. Hey, Scott, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Jake, I had an opportunity to talk to Kevin Sayer again, but I asked for you this time because I thought your background might lend a little better to the conversation. And and here's why. You guys are into like iPhone space now. Like it gets a little better every time, but I can't point to why it's great because it's been great for a while. But if I go back 10 years, I know why my iPhone is amazing. Do you know what I mean (laughs) by that? (laughs) So there's not a lot of space for you guys to go is the problem. I think, but maybe you know differently, which is why I thought talking to you might be interesting. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be uh, with you. I appreciate it. So I'm going to start by telling people that this is going to be part of the review episode that I do about the Dexcom G6, but that if I had to do a review in all honesty, it would take about eight seconds. So I'm going to try to stretch it out a little bit here by kind of going through it step by step. So we start off with the new insertion process. Um, I wanted to talk about maybe from your perspective, how did you go from what it was to what it is now? Um, sure. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the, um, insertion, um, the applicator device is to get that sensor, um, under the skin as, um, quickly, um, uh, as painless as possible. Um, and with as little steps. And one of the things we, we knew about our, um, G5, applicator in the previous manual versions was that there were quite a few steps involved Mm -hmm. uh, that the um, user has to go through to make sure that sensor gets inserted properly. Uh, And um, it also isn't automatic, right? You have to go through each step. So the goal of that new insertion system, the one that's with G6, was to um, develop it so that it was as simple as a push of a button. Uh, We wanted it to be single-handed operation so that it could all be done without needing to use multiple hands to um, complete the sensor insertion. So it's very similar. Um, the, the sensor and needle um, under the skin, uh, it's all the same dimensions as the manual applicator, but we set the 
development team off um, to uh, develop a, a way for the insertion system to insert the sensor very quickly and easily. And so the actual insertion is about 15 milliseconds is all it takes for that sensor to be placed just under the skin. Jake, it's, it's, it goes beyond that. It's spectacular. So I asked my daughter after we did it the first time, I said, hey, they said it's almost painless. And she thought about it for a second. And she goes, is feelless a word? Because I don't know what happened. <laughs> and, and, and so I swear to you, stick it on. You know, she's 14. She's, you know, apprehensive because it's something new. And I realized that when I thought about it in the abstract before I held it in my hand, I imagined that the pushing of the button was pushing the needle. But now I realize the needle's already drawn back almost like a like a harpoon or a, or a bow and arrow. And all you're doing is releasing that tension when you push that button. So there's not even much of a push involved. It's, it's hard to put into words. You just touch that button and it's over. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a number of um, uh, spring powered mechanisms inside the device that, um, yeah, when you're pressing that button, it's, it's really just uh, releasing the uh, spring to pull this, put the sensor in and pull the needle out. And <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's a lot less, we found it's a lot less intimidating than the, the previous version. Um, because it's just that much simpler to use and, and doesn't necessarily look like a, like an injection device. Yeah, the, the last one was a little frightening. But, but, um, but I'm telling you, no lie, I pushed the button, looked her in the face, there was no expression on her face, and she was like, it, it's done? And I said, yeah. She goes, I didn't feel it. And I was like, no. okay. And that has been, she's now worn, I want to say four, and she's had the exact same experience over and over again. So kudos um, to engineers who came up with that, that it really is amazing. Uh, wonderful to hear. Glad she, uh, glad she's uh, enjoying it. Absolutely. So once it's on, it's simple. That little inserter just kind of like slips off. Uh, you know, you, you click your transmitter in. now I do have, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm having hiccups with the scanning of the, is it a QC code? What kind of code is that? The QR? I don't know what they call it. Yeah, it's a QR code. Yeah, the, the code that's on the sensor is actually um, the, uh, the first version of our app, um, the, the one that we released with this um, uh, smaller market release. Um, it did actually have a bug in it. So um, we are just in the midst of fixing that. Okay. So we'll be deploying the fix um, this week. So um, give, me, uh, give it a shot the next time around, and it should work. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, they'll both the Android and iOS app should be fixed. Fixed up. It, it is as easy as I think it's like a four-digit code, and it, it doesn't take any effort. It's just that one step of scanning. So for people who don't understand, what you'll do going forward is you just sort of hold your phone up to the, you know, to the, the, the packaging from the sensor bed, and it just scans it all in, and it's all set, and, and you're on your way. Now, yep. Now, the moving forward part, this part is interesting. How did you, I'll tell you the most magical part. You would think it would be the insertion process, but it's not. It's after the two-hour warm-up, it just starts working. So I, don't, I never think about it once it's on again, and then magically it feels like there's just a number all of a sudden that pops up. That really is kind of spectacular. But I'm going to ask you a question from listeners. Is there ever a spot in the future where you imagine there is no warm-up period? And can you explain the what the warm-up period is for? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So um, the, uh, the warm-up period uh, is um, a couple of things are occurring. Um, the sensor is dry uh, when it's in the package and in the, inside the applicator device. Once the sensor is inserted under the skin, there's a period of time uh, that it takes the um, chemistry on the sensor to acclimate the, the tissue uh, to the body and to the um, 
interstitial fluid where it's measuring the, the glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to um, reduce that warm-up period, and we're very confident that um, our future versions, we're going to be able to reduce it. Um, I think we're going to be able to get it down to about 30 minutes, um, maybe even faster. Um, but uh, you, you're balancing a little bit of um, what's the level of performance, and if we cut it any lower than 30 minutes, um, we wouldn't want the, the system to be inaccurate. So um, we're, we're very confident we can reduce it um, by at least an hour, and if not, um, even maybe even get to half an hour. Um, and we do that through um, uh, updates to the, um, the sensor uh, as well as the algorithm that is um, turning that sensor signal into a glucose reading. Um, the more um, one of the big things with G6 was we did change uh, quite a bit of the materials that go on the sensor. Um, they're all kind of the same base materials as our previous products, but we we fine tuned it quite a bit both in the design and the process we use to manufacture the sensors. And what it results in is a much more um, consistent and stable sensor signal. So um, that's why that's what enables our factory calibration. Um, where users no longer have to enter the finger sticks to calibrate. Um, and it's also what's going to enable us to reduce the warm-up time in the future. Okay. Okay, so it, that leads me into my next question, which is when Arden put on the G6 at first, I left the G5 on her. We did it for about 12 hours. I did it out of anxiety, right? You would think I might have done it for the podcast or something. I just was anxious. I was like, I've, I trust how this G5 works, right? So you're going to give me something new. I believe in you guys, so I think it's going to work, but I need to see it myself. So I put it on. First of all, the concept of it doesn't work real well on the first day or it's not as accurate as you would like it to be till it's been on for a while, that I've, I've let go of completely. Um, I'm, and, but what I saw initially, G5 to G6, was that they didn't exactly mesh. They were close, but they didn't mesh. And then I realized that I'm calibrating the G5 based off my meter, and then we get into this weird world of diabetes, right? Which is, which one of these things is closest to accurate? And what does that even mean? Like, what does, do you know what I'm saying by that? Like, what does my mm-hmm. accurate blood sugar mean? I've gotten to a place in my life where I've just said, I'm going to pick the device that I trust the most, and I'm going with what that tells me. But it is one of those things that if you sit down and think about it academically, it'll make you insane. So how do <laughs> how do you, how do you guys think about it? Like, because I trust the G6 implicitly already. It's, it's fantastic. But it didn't agree with the G5. But is that because the G5 was making some decisions based off my meter readings? Yeah, it could, it could be. The, um, uh, the, uh, the way that we look at accuracy, um, and you're absolutely right, it can get really um, kind of mind-boggling. The, the main thing that we look at is the ref, what reference are you using to um, calculate your accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so what we... Um, do for, for our systems uh, to measure performance um, uh, is with something called a, a YSI. It's actually a laboratory analyzer. And we compare our performance, our, our measurement of glucose in the interstitial fluid to what the venous blood glucose concentration is. Um, and so that it, we're matched to that. One of the things that's a little bit different about a finger stick meter is it's measuring capillary. It's a, it's a finger stick at the um, uh, tip of the finger. So you're going to get slight differences between um, the venous blood and the, the capillary blood. And so when you're calibrating to the capillary meter, um, it's still accurate, um, but it's just it can be slightly different than, than what um, uh, a venous blood measurement would have, be, have been. Mm-hmm. And when we design G6, it's um, designed to um, be uh, coincide with the venous blood uh, readings. So how do you decide, I don't even know if this is a fair question, but 
there's an interstitial reading. There's a reading I can get from my blood. And there's what, for the lack of a better word, God knows my blood sugar is. And so how do I know what gets closest to, like, how do you, how are you, why don't, because it's working great. Let me tell you why I think it's fantastic. Because I look at my daughter's clarity reports and her A1C reports back incredibly close to what clarity tells me, you know, if I look at her, her average blood sugar, what it's going to be. So to me, that makes me feel like what I'm seeing moment to moment, day to day, has accuracy. But I don't, but that just seems like the only way I can tell. Do you know what I mean? Like what, what is the, what, what do you guys talk about when you sit down and talk about this? So when we, um, when we talk about uh, accuracy, we're all, we're always looking at, um, you know, making the system as, as accurate as possible. Uh, and, and when we do our clinical studies for the FDA and when we really are looking really closely at, uh, performance, uh, we do look at that that venous blood draw. We actually draw blood out of a catheter and measure it. Um, but the differences between the the venous blood and the interstitial and the capillaries, it's all so small. It's it's very rarely going to make any clinical difference. You're not going to make a different decision based on the slightly different glucose readings. So um, that's that's how we look at it. We look at it from a, a YSI perspective. The FDA, um, that's how they um, have specified particularly with um, the, the new approval for G6 as an integrated CGM. They, they put out some very specific standards for how CGM, uh, ICGM should be um, studied and the performance they need to meet and all of um, the different aspects that uh, really is what sets G6 apart. Okay. Well, that's spectacular. Can I ask you a couple of kind of rapid-fire questions? Uh, of course. My expectation, well, first of all, Arden used acetaminophen yesterday for the first time. Literally did not make a difference. Thank you very much. I don't know what the <laughs> magic is, but that was really cool. If I told you you could have something for free and that giving it to you in no way bound you to do anything else in the future, would you take something for free? Have you answered that question in your mind now? Have you said to yourself, yes, Scott, I would take something free if I didn't have to do anything in return? Well, if you have, Boy, do I have good news for you. I need you to click on the link in your show notes or go to juiceboxpodcast.com and click on the link. You can type it in the browser if you want, but clicking on the link does help me. I'm not going to lie. I don't make money when you click on the link, but it does let the advertiser know you came from me and that does help the podcast keep going. Anyway, what are we talking about? The Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. Omnipod is thrilled to send you a demo of the pump. They actually send you a pod. It's not a working pod in as much as like, you know, you couldn't get insulin from it, but it has all of the same parts inside. It's the same weight as a real pod. And, you know, that way you can really get a feel for it. You can wear it and see what you think. You can hold it in your hand and say, this thing is pretty tiny. Where's the thing I hook on my belt, you might say to yourself, that attaches to my tubing, that attaches to my infusion set. Well... It doesn't exist with the Omnipod. The Omnipod is an all-in-one device. It's controlled by a handheld personal diabetes manager. That's what they call it, the PDM. But that PDM is wireless. It talks to the pod wirelessly. It's not connected to you. You don't even have to have it with you most of the time. And the pod has everything you need, and it's on your body. I know what you're saying. It's hard to picture, Scott. But is it? Not really. It's tiny, and it's small, and it's amazing, and it's lovely, and it doesn't have any tubes. And if you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or click on the links in your show notes or go to juiceboxpodcast.com and click on a link, you can have a free no obligation demo 
right in your hands very soon. Arden's about to be 14 years old. She's been using the Omnipod since she was four. We could not be happier with it. I really hope you give it a try. G5, I thought was really good, but I lost my signal more than I would have cared to. Um, and it took a little time to come back. Now I figured out how to trick it back with like resetting Bluetooth and stuff like that. So it, I, I figured it out along the way, but it happened more frequently than I was comfortable with it happening. I am not seeing that at all with G6. How did you fix that? So it's, uh, um, yeah, it's a, the Bluetooth uh, communication protocol that we use in, in the transmitter to communicate to um, iPhones and, and Android phones, as well as um, insulin pumps and then also the receiver uh, device um, that we supply. So that Bluetooth protocol, when you start talking about mobile phones, it's complex because on the mobile phone there's a lot of... Um, other uh, systems on the phone that are using the Bluetooth, whether it's um, streaming mu music, audio, in many of the phones, even the Wi-Fi uh, chip is the same electronics as the Bluetooth, and so they're, they're time-sliced. So it gets complex on those platforms, and one of the things is we work very closely um, with the operating systems on those phones, and we, we do quite a bit of optimization to... Um, to try and limit the amount of time that Bluetooth signals are lost. And I agree with you. It still happens. Um, it, just the fact that it happens um, is something that means that we have more work to continue to do. Mm -hmm. um, G6, it should be about the same. Uh, we've made some enhancements, um, but uh, you still can experience uh, signal loss alert on, on G6. And, uh, but you, you, you got it, um, Scott. You, you basically reset the Bluetooth, and that's often what will bring the signal back because on the phones, um, yeah, it's not a it's not a perfect uh, scenario. So sometimes you can get great performance, other times you don't. But there is always a way to fix it by by cycling that that Bluetooth. I crash the app, go in and out of airplane mode, and it's back right away. Um, so yeah. that's how it's been working for me. Hey, does I'm seeing so every once in a while we see a compression low, which I'd like to get you to explain to me because in my literally untrained mind's eye, the interstitial fluid's being pushed away from the wire and that's how it reacts, but I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, I'd like you to explain what it is when you lay on the sensor for too long or press on it too long that it, it reports a low that's false. But also, sure. also, I'm seeing much quicker recovery time after I tell Arden, hey, roll over. Is, and I don't know if that's my imagination or not. No, no, um, it's, it's another great question. The um, so uh, compression um, also uh, in some of the literature it's called um, uh, sensor attenuation. It is basically when you put that pressure on the site where the the transmitter and sensor are, um, it can reduce the um, diffusion of interstitial fluid in that area. So the sensor is still very uh, measuring the glucose in that area very accurately. But it's just that the glucose in the area where the sensor is isn't reflective of what um, the uh, glucose is in the rest of the body, huh. and it comes from that uh, that compression uh, where um, the interstitial fluid is not diffusing into the area around the sensor. Mm -hmm. um, when when uh, people run into that, I often um, you know they try different locations for their sensors, but but it can happen, and we're um, you know there's there's a number of items that we're always focusing on trying to. Um, you know, our, our goal is to make the system as reliable as possible, and so uh, we'd love to be able to detect those um, those compression events, uh, and so that we don't uh, issue a, a low alert that uh, isn't valid. So it is another area where we're continuing to investigate. It has everything to do with the shape of the transmitter and the size uh, and the sensor location and all those things. So that's um, 
what causes the compression. Um, uh, the other part of your question about the response time, G- G6 is designed to be more responsive to glucose changes, and so that's exactly what's happening when um, uh, when Arden you know rolls off the sensor or stops applying that pressure. Um, the glucose infuses back into that area very quickly, and G6 detects it. I knew that wasn't my imagination. It was happening so much faster that it just it couldn't have been coincidental. Uh, okay. Has the adhesive changed at all in the G6 and the G5? Not the, um, the patch material, the base material itself and the adhesive have not changed, but because of the, the shape of the new transmitter, um, the shape of the adhesive is, is slightly different, but it's, it's very similar. Uh, to um, the shape of G5, but it is exactly the same adhesive as G5. Okay. Um, let's see. Lag time. I, I'd like you to un- like. I'd like to understand that when I'm looking at like I'm looking at Arden's blood sugar on my screen on my computer right now, which is the next thing I'm going to ask you about. It's 114. Is it 114 right now? Was it 114 two minutes ago? What is? How does that lag time? Is there a lag time, and and how does it work? So. Um, Couple of, a couple of different components to the lag time. So uh, one part is uh, just the uh, time it takes for the interstitial fluid to have the same glucose concentration as the blood. Um, and that's very quick. It's about a minute or two. There's been a couple of different uh, clinical studies where they just, um, where the researchers studied the diffusion of glucose from blood to interstitial fluid. And it's a matter of a minute or two. So you get a little bit of lag there, not, not really perceivable, but there is some lag there. And then the rest of um, the, the lag tends to come from the uh, system, the measurement system, uh, so the CGM. Um, and historically, the CGMs were a little slower to respond to uh, glucose changes. Uh, and so um, the, the reading that you were looking at um, could be you know, a five-minute average uh, from five minutes ago. But as we continue to enhance the, the systems, we... Um, uh, the, the the reading is valid for that um, five minute time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of prediction built into it, so it's not just like it's a five minute old value. Okay. Um, so we update the readings every five minutes, but they have a, a component of uh, prediction built into it, um, so that we we're giving you as accurate a reading as we can because we're always trying to match that. What is the true venous blood glucose reading? So that makes sense to me based on my findings. And for the people who listen to this podcast, and there are a lot of them at this point who do things the way I do, which is I bump and nudge my daughter's blood sugar. I don't just, you know, put in an amount and wait. If I, you know, if I see a 122 diagonal up, I push a little insulin on it. And some people are like, well, that, how do you, you know, isn't that number behind? But I'm not finding that. I'm finding that I'm, I'm working in a relatively real-time situation. My expectation for how the insulin works and my expectation for what the, the CGM is telling me is uh, it feels pretty accurate to me. Like it, it, it feels like it's all happening the way I expect it to. So that, that makes a lot of sense. A um, little bit about predictive. Actually, let me jump to this real quick. The, somebody asked this, and I have to say I agree. I'm using a third-party app on my Mac right now, and mm-hmm. I can see Arden's blood sugar up in my bar, in my menu bar. Are you guys going to ever develop something like that for PC or Mac? Because it is, I'm being asked a lot by people who are at work and whose jobs frown upon them having their cell phones out? We, um, we, we don't have it in our roadmap right now to do um, uh, software for the computers to display glucose. But what we do uh, have is um, we're working with a number of different partners um, that uh, we, right now we have a, um, a data API that's available to uh, partners who want to um, work with Dexcom. Right now it's retrospective, um, so the, the data is um, three hours old, 
but we're looking at lots of uh, opportunities to um, determine how to partner on the real-time data so that um, we could enable uh, um, the ecosystem of developers out there who, who have great ideas and develop wonderful solutions that maybe Dexcom is not focused on because uh, we're focused on you know, other pieces of software. But right. we do really believe in, in open um, systems that are reliable. And um, I think all the different options of displaying glucose is, is kind of my vision for how it should be, is you should be able to get those real-time readings anywhere you want them, anytime, uh, in the format that you want. And so uh, enabling the developer community to help us with that is is a, is the way um, we want to move forward. All right. So if you have a good idea, reach out to Dexcom and get involved. I can tell you right now I'm using Glucogram. It's working great on my Mac. And last week I was at the Indianapolis 500, not at the race, but at the, the Speedway. And I was watching Charlie Kimball race and I was down in the pit and I could see his blood sugar on their screens <laughs> in, in pit row. It was pretty cool. Okay. Uh, Jeez, Jake, 30 minutes. That's tough. Hold on a second. Uh, predictive alarm alerts. How soon am I seeing that predictive alarm? You are going to be, because right now it says something like it expects you to be under 55 in the next 10 minutes. Is that? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the, the way that the, um, the um, predictive low alert, um, the, the urgent low, it's um, basically determining, it's trying to give you enough time to deal with a impending low so what it does is it, it estimates in how much time are you going to be 55. So it looks at what's the glucose and how fast is it dropping. Mm -hmm. And it also takes into account where the low glucose threshold is set. Because if your low glucose threshold is going to give you um, 20 minutes of time before you hit 55, we're not going to issue the urgent or the, the going low soon alert. Uh, but if you're dropping quickly, to the point where your low alert will go off, but it only will give you, uh, let's say, five or ten minutes of warning, we're going to advance that uh, alert in time to give you a little more time. So our goal is to try and give you 20 to 30 minutes um, of warning uh, ahead of a 55 um, occurrence. So uh, that's the way it's designed uh, so that the goal, one of our main goals of a predictive alert was not to increase the number of alerts that users receive because... Um, we know historically um, with other systems, predictive alerts can be a little bit of a nuisance because they're not always that accurate. So we, we wanted to do a very uh, nice job of predicting that, that low glucose alert without um, giving too many um, you know, false alerts. This next question you might just say no to. Do you guys have any plans to integrate with a Bluetooth meter so that I, it, people who need to calibrate still don't have to type it in? Uh, we don't in in our roadmap. We don't. Um, that's not to say, though, that um, you couldn't uh, you know develop a system that um, took in the the, the Bluetooth um, meter readings. I've seen some different uh, you know prototypes of uh, HealthKit on the iPhone pulling in the the meter readings, mm -hmm. uh, and so um, we we don't plan plan to integrate with Bluetooth meter. My my goal ultimately is to get to the point where the system is. Um, uh, you know, no finger sticks. Uh, we can basically retire the finger stick meters forever. That was my expectation of what your answer would be, is that we're trying to get away from that. So, uh, no. Apple Watch that has the cell connectivity, are we ever going to be able to see our blood sugar on that without a phone involved in the loop? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's a great question. The, <laughs> your laugh just the told me no, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the core, the core Bluetooth um, connects basically uh, the functionality that Apple announced last summer 
that they were opening up uh, to uh, particular companies, um, including Dexcom. So they, they opened it up last, um, or they announced it last June, uh, and then we've been developing with it ever since. And so we are working on a um, communication protocol between our transmitter and the Apple Watch directly. Uh, but it's still in development because it is actually a very complicated scenario of the phone goes out of range and then the transmitter has to switch over to communicating with the watch on its own. Uh, and then when the watch comes back in range, you have to switch back to the phone. So um, both both Apple and ourselves are, are working on a, a number of different prototypes. Um, so we're, I'm confident uh, we will we'll have a solution there. Uh, but it is um, quite a bit of development still ahead of us to to get to the point where it's reliable and works the way um, users want it to and expect the experience to be. So we're developing it on, on, on Apple Watch and some other, you know, the Android systems, and we're also looking at doing it with Fitbit as well. Um, so it, I do think that that's a really important option that we need in the future to have, um, you know, kind of lightweight, um, easy convenient displays where you don't have to have your phone with you at all times. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is it is definitely an um, important aspect of our displays, and we are working hard on it. And by working hard on it, you mean there are three engineers in a room who have big clumps of hair missing off of their head right now? Is that about where we're at? <laughs> um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's quite a few engineers working on it. Uh, let's see. This is my – I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm not sure if you're the right person to ask. Do you know about, like, Canada launch and how upgrades work and stuff like that, or am I better off talking to Kevin about that? Uh, you're better off ta- talking to Kevin about timing. Um, I can I can uh, mention that um, the, for the um, uh, the upgrade of the system, if, if uh, users have the uh, touchscreen receiver from G5, mm-hmm. uh, that is uh, fully compatible with G6, and it can, it can just be firmware updated so that – when it does come time to transition between G5 and G6, uh, all the user needs is, is a new transmitter in the sensors, uh, and uh, they can upload the, the firmware right to their receiver from our website. Okay. Um, so we've got a number of G5 users who've already upgraded to G6 in that, that way. And then I think it, the rest of it's pretty easily spelled out online. If you're out of warranty on your G5 you'll, and you want to be transitioned to the G6, you can be, um, <laughs> and it's that simple. All right, so I'm going to ask you... Um, a question that I don't know if you can answer, but there's going to be two of them here at the end. We have four minutes left. Restarting the sensor. You can restart a G5. It's against the FDA you know, protocol. It's not something you guys say people should do, but it's obvious at this point that people understand that you can just, you know, for the lack of a better term, trick the G5 into thinking that you've put on a new sensor bed and restart it. I personally have... I have good insurance, so it doesn't bother me that the new G6 only lasts 10 days. And I have been watching machinations online as people try to figure out how to restart the G6. What I see, I haven't tried and I don't plan on trying, but what I've seen is that you guys have created a sensor bed where you can't get that transmitter out of there until you take it off your body and break it is and kind of like, like crack it at kind of the sensor bed. And then the transmitter slips right out. Is someone going to figure it out, Jake, or is it not, or can it not be figured out? That's my question. Well, it's, Is someone going to yeah, figure it out, or can it not be figured out? You know, uh, so the the sensor restart issue. Uh, you know, the question about it was um, as we, we started working on um, factory calibration, uh, that was a really important part of our um, a kind of a risk analysis and all the hazards involved um, with factory calibrated sensors that get restarted. And so it's actually part of the FDA's guidance on the integrated CGMs uh, because of the performance. Um, requirements uh, and the fact that there's no finger stick uh, calibration required. 
Um, it, it was part of the the approval was to ensure that the sensors could not be restarted. Now, um, you know, I'm an engineer, and I know there's lots of very intelligent engineers out there, and and other scientists and folks who can figure things out. And so, um, I, I'm sure at some point someone will figure out a way to do it. Now, is it going to be easy, or is it something that uh, we would recommend? Absolutely not. But um, they, uh, you know, it's it's like any system. If you work hard enough, you can generally fig- figure ways around um, the design intent. Gotcha. But, um, wouldn't recommend it. All right. Uh, Dexcom does not want you doing that. I say, uh, I report back if you know anything. And so here's my last question that uh, is really very open-ended, but it is genuinely my, my biggest interest while I'm talking to you. What's next? What should I be excited about that's coming? Is it something you can talk about? Can you be general? Can you sure, just, you sure, know, yeah, yeah. I, I want to uh, know what's uh, next. So, um, you know, for CGM, uh, one of the things that's... Um, that's coming is uh, the expansion of, of the use of continuous glucose monitoring past um, you know our, our current um, users the, the most of our customers and our patients are um, intensive insulin users right you, mm-hmm. just like Arden they're making decisions every day how much insulin do I need to take let me you know to cover those carbs and so it, it's a critical part of um, their um, you know how they manage diabetes but as we step into other realms of type 2 diabetes pre-diabetes, there's a lot of opportunity for that continuous glucose signal um, to, to help people um, live healthier. Um, uh, you know, there's a coaching aspect to it. So one of the things you're going to see is that the CGMs are going to continue to get simpler to use um, and uh, more applicable to the broader markets um, where folks don't necessarily have all the training that, that someone with type 1 diabetes has uh, in terms of um, you know, doing injections or, or using CGMs. So one of the exciting things is the the size of the CGMs is going to continue to reduce. The complexity will be reduced. Um, the connectivity uh, and all the, the things that come along with a Dexcom CGM, the phone apps, the share apps, we're going to continue to enhance those um, and make uh, you know take advantage of all the new features that come out on the mobile platforms. Every time there's a new um, iOS or a new version of Android, they they put in new new um, features that developers like Dexcom can take advantage of. And so um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunities to continue to enhance the experience and the, you know, basically making diabetes uh, easier to manage, um, whether you have type 1 or type 2 um, or, or just interested in, in blood glucose uh, dynamics and, and living healthier. Uh, there's, there's tremendous opportunity, and we're, we're just kind of we're, we're, we're happy where we are with the mobile platform, but we, we see a lot of runway left still uh, for what we can do in, in engaging users and giving them more than just, you know, the, the glucose reading and the, the rate of change. And you can imagine um, helping uh, support some of the decisions that have to be made about insulin or carbohydrates um, or exercise. Uh, all, all of those aspects we can uh, continue to, uh, to improve and work on. Cool. Can I ask you one last thing before I let you go? Of course, Scott. Did you guys ever consider taking a shot at Smack and Freestyle when they came out with that Libra thing? And put, Because I'm assuming that their product is just, it's an aspect of Dexcom, but it's not the entirety of it. I'm assuming you could create something like that Libra fairly simply. based on We could. Yeah. 
We could. We think um, uh, one of the you know there's the, there's a couple aspects of Dexcom CGM. The performance, uh, of course, is our is paramount. Uh, the reliability that users have have learned to trust uh, and um, and rely on. So the performance aspect of Dexcom is different, uh, but also the real time connectivity. So for alerts, alarms, uh, and um, powering of closed loop systems, and all of those things, uh, the integrated CGM is uh, you know where we think is the right place to focus, uh, and so that's where we are focused. Um, it's one of the reasons we implemented Bluetooth on our our system was so that it could be integrated with more devices, um, and it's also why our partners are, are um, uh, you know enabling their systems with Bluetooth so that they can communicate with our our transmitter. Um, so to Tandem being the first, and um, Insulet's working quickly on a Bluetooth version as well. So I, I think there's a lot of um, opportunity, uh, and uh, we're going to stay focused on real-time CGM. Yeah, I just, I can't, if I can't see it, if it's not always there, it just takes away a big part of what it is. I, I don't know another way to put it. Like, when I look at that other that other product, what it looks like to me is a, finger stick meter where I don't have to poke my finger, which is very similar. Yeah. You which don't is, get the alerts and alarms at night. Like when you expect, you know, that's one of the times it's critical for yeah. monitoring glucose when you're asleep. And so, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't get any of that functionality. No, that, that's it. I was just, I was mulling around my, my house today thinking about what I was going to talk about with you. And I just kept thinking, I wonder if they thought, wow, I'll, we could do that too, you know, but we don't want to. Um, and so, because it, it ends up being a pricing thing, right? It's just, it's cheaper. And so it's a, it's it's like a bit of it's almost like um if I buy my homeowner's insurance from Dexcom and my house burns down you'll you'll pay me back completely and if I buy it from Freestyle you'll pay me back like half. Um and so it's not and so it's not a bad deal it's just not as good as it could be. Um but the price is lower I guess if you're paying out of pocket. So I don't know. This wasn't for you. So anyway, everyone, I had Jake on because Jake knows the R&D and I thought everybody can do a review where everybody just goes over you know, the stuff you see on the website. Again, it does this, it does that. But it seemed to me like it would be more interesting to understand why it does what it does. Um, and so that's why, Jake, I thought I'd have you on today. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, for everyone listening, I'm assuming Jake came into the office, sat down, and I called him. So it is very early where he is. And, and we appreciate you taking the time very much. Thanks so much, Scott. It was a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye. I'll be sharing my Dexcom G6 review with you right after these words from our sponsor. It's very simple. If you heard something today about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and you're interested in finding out more, click on the links in your show notes in your podcast player. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com where there are also links or go to dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Dexcom would be thrilled to get you started right away and when you use my link, they know you came from the podcast, which is very helpful. It's not financially helpful. Like I'm saying, I don't get paid by click, which is important to know. But they do know that the podcast ads are bringing people to them, which helps me get more podcast ads, which helps the podcast keep going. Let's go over it really quick. You wear a Dexcom product, G5 or the G6. What you're getting is a real-time understanding of your blood sugar, where it is and where it's headed and how fast is it headed there. Is my blood sugar 80 and is it real stable? Is it 80 and about to be 50? Is it 90 and about to be 120? These things are very important to understand. Here's the next thing that's very important. The concept of sharing blood glucose data. The user, whether it's your child or your spouse or just a good friend, 
can be wearing the Dexcom and sharing their information with others. Imagine what that means. No matter where you are right now, you can know someone else's blood sugar. Maybe they're gonna be incapable of helping themselves. Maybe they're just not hearing it. Maybe it's your son or daughter at their sports event. Maybe they're at school. Maybe you're just giving some backup to a friend. But the share and follow functions of the Dexcom G6 are spectacular. They're available for Android and for iPhone, and they present a peace of mind that is unmatched in the world of living with type 1 diabetes. Again, go to the links in your show notes at juiceboxpodcast.com or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to get started today, to find out more, to switch from the G5 to the G6. Use that link for everything. And now, after over 30 days of use with the Dexcom G6, this is my very unbiased and honest review of Dexcom's latest product. It's fantastic. There you go. That was the whole thing. I'm kidding. I'll tell you more. Listen, we went over a bunch of it just now with Jake. Those are my unfiltered thoughts, as you can imagine. But I'll go through it step by step for you now. It's not going to take long, though. The honest truth is, if you see some long review of this product, people are just using filler because it is simple to use and it works. So the insertion process, you take out the insertion thing, the device, the little potty cone, I don't know what to call it exactly, it's a thing. And it has the sensor bed already installed in it. You take it out of the package, you take off the adhesive coverage, you stick it on, you push the button, you pop in the transmitter, you know, I think there's something you have to do with the phone, like push start sensor or something like that, or on your, or on the, the Dexcom G6 receiver if you're not using your phone. Start sensor, two hours later, a blood glucose value just pops up on your device. That's it. There's no calibrating or testing necessary. If you want to calibrate and test, it actually has a function for you to still do that. But we haven't, and we are having no trouble whatsoever. Now, the actual process of the insertion is amazing. It's smooth as silk. I mean, that's the review. The accuracy is better. The first day accuracy is fantastic. The insertion is painless and easy. There's no calibration necessary. If you experience a compression low, once you take your weight off of the sensor, the accuracy comes back in moments. I've had no issue with connectivity between the app and the transmitter. It's working great. I mean, the last real thing I can't tell you, which is I have to wait for Arden to get an A1C to see how closely it matches her Clarity app. You know, what, what has her average blood sugar been as far as the Dexcom is concerned over 90 days, and does that closely match with what her A1C ends up being? That's the last really measure I can use, and I can't tell you about that for a couple more months. And that is going to be incredibly important. I need to know that the information I'm getting back from the G6 is helping me make accurate decisions. But in all honesty, I can't imagine it's going to be in some way not as good as the G5. And the G5 was fantastic, and I've been managing Arden's A1C really well with the information coming from the G5. I expect it just to get better with the G6. So I'll be back to you with that information in the next couple of months. But for now, if you're looking to me for my opinion, if you're able to move from the G5 to the G6 or from the G4 to the G6, do it. For the first time, I'm able to actually give advice on the podcast. My advice is use the G6 if you can. It's fantastic. It's quick. It's easy. It's painless. It's accurate. You know what it's making me think of, honestly? Back in episode, I think, 158, I did a whole hour interview with the CEO of Dexcom, Kevin Sayer. We did it right around the announcement that the G6 had been approved by the FDA. 
And at that point, I think Kevin called it an evolutionary leap. The G6 was an evolutionary leap from the G5. I'm calling that statement an incredibly accurate description of the improvements that have been made. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Also, two episodes dropped this week, so I hope you didn't miss the other one. Episode 167 is out, too. If you got this one and you didn't get another one, go back and look in your podcast app. It's there. It's a full one-hour interview with the mom of a girl with type 1 diabetes who is also quite the Instagram star. It's actually a really great conversation about type 1 diabetes, but we also talk a lot about life low-carb and not low-carb, which is really interesting. That's episode 167. Thank you so much to Dexcom for sending me Jake. Thank you, Jake, for coming on. Thank you, Omnipod, for sponsoring. Thank you, Dexcom, for sponsoring. Thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's a lot of thank yous there. Actually, while we're at it, let's keep going. A lot of great reviews coming on iTunes. Really appreciate it. Mm, Love it. I love it when you guys share the podcast. It is the best and pretty much only way for the podcast to grow is word of mouth. If you like it, tell someone else. If they look at you funny when you use the word podcast, snatch the phone out of their hand and show them how to listen. People need help sometimes. You could be that person for them. You could be a podcast Sherpa, an official Juicebox podcast Sherpa. Hey, I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to shout out a couple of people. Trish for telling me that she loved when I babbled on at the end of a previous episode telling bad jokes and asking why you were still listening. Trish said her hands, I think, were busy or dirty or something and she couldn't shut off the podcast or switch to another episode and that gave her something to do. So for all of you whose hands are dirty right now, I'm still talking. Here's another shout out to, I don't want to use the name, but someone who contacted me recently to let me know that they went to their endocrinologist with a decreased A1C and they were super thrilled and the endo treated them poorly about it. You know, the endo gets scared that you don't know what you're doing and that you're achieving some sort of a lower A1C by having scary lows. This person was not and told the doctor. The doctor said, what are you doing? And she replied, I'm being bold with insulin. I like read that in the email and was like, yeah, shout it out loud. Good for you. Stick up for yourself. Also, great notes uh, from Europe lately. Germany and where else? Portugal? Am Am I right about that? I'm writing you today from Portugal, a small country in the western part of Europe. Yeah. What's up, Rita? Thanks for writing. I'm going to email you back as soon as I can. Here's the point. The community built around this podcast is worldwide. You are not alone. I am not alone. Together, we are, we are each other's support system, even though we can't hear each other's voices. That's really important to know. All right. I'll see you guys next week.